From Coruscant to Tatooine and every planet in between. Star Wars, prototypes and production with your host, David Quinn. It's a trap! Yes, My alarm went off at 7.30 Friday morning. For the first few seconds upon rising from what seemed like a one-way street of deep sleep, I scanned the walls around me and was disoriented. Nothing matched up. The white walls and bedspread were different. The green curtains that hung to my right were draped across a window that was the right size, but was placed too high on the wall to be my own. And the room I was in presently was too small, and in the place where my closet once stood was a short hallway with a bathroom at the end of it. Did you ever wake up thinking you're in your bed at home, only to realize you're in a completely different state in a completely different part of the country, on your way to a sci-fi convention? Nashville is a fantastic place in which to find yourself, especially in this manner. It's like waking up to get ready for work, and then you remember that it's a Saturday morning, and the weekend is wholly yours. I jumped out of bed and I opened my door to see if Kyle was up yet. His door was still closed, so I proceeded to finish unpacking from the night before. I love unpacking my suitcases and setting up my room whenever I travel. Kyle had surprised me with a glow-in-the-dark vinyl figurine of my favorite Clone Wars character Ahsoka that had been signed by Ashley Eckstein, the actress responsible for giving Ahsoka her voice. I proudly displayed it on the nightstand near the bed, next to the alarm clock, along with a handful of Ahsoka stickers Kyle's wife gave him to give to me. I drew the blinds and the sunlight poured into the room. The temperature for the weekend would be in the mid-90s, which was not ideal for what we'd be doing that morning. The summer had been a hot one, the hottest in recent memory, and after a week of what looked to be the incoming fall weather, summer reared its fiery head once again. But I certainly was not complaining. After all, the sky was a radiant shade of blue, there was no sign of rain, and I was thankful to be in Nashville. Before showering for the day, I threw on a hat and my clothes from the night before and headed downstairs to the hotel lobby for breakfast. Kyle yawned in the elevator, and I realized that from this point on, sleep would mostly be an afterthought. I grabbed a plate of eggs, two different types of sausage, a few pieces of fruit, and a glass of water. Kyle had a bagel and a cup of yogurt. And as we ate, he checked his phone. Matt's up, he said. He'll be ready to go in a half hour. Matt was waiting for us near his motel door. Kyle and I went into his room as he walked to his van to open the side door. For someone who was about to set up and run three tables at a convention for a weekend, Matt didn't seem stressed or even mildly concerned. 
In fact, he was singing to himself amid the rhythmic clicking of his flip-flops as he sauntered from the van back to the room, and his genial nature helped put me at ease. The three of us carried boxes of carded and loose figures, of prototypes and of things rarely seen, like the original wax sculpts of figures from various toy lines, and we quickly fell into a worker's rhythm. Someone had to be by the van at all times, and someone else needed to be in the proximity of the motel room. Matt stayed by the van, taking the boxes from us, and knowing what items were in each, he set them one by one along the seats and the floor of the vehicle. Kyle and I brought the boxes to him, passing each other along the way between the room and the van. The motel room opened as Kyle would come out and I would enter it, and we did this until the room was empty. As I handed each box to Matt, I checked its exterior to see if I recalled going through it the day before. The items Matt brought to sell at ICCC were truly unique, and I knew many collectors were going to be thankful they made the trip when they saw his table at the show and at room sales later that night. As Matt was setting the final pieces of his backseat puzzle into place, I ran back to the room to make sure we hadn't left anything behind. Kyle started up his truck, and after Matt locked his room for the day, I jumped into Kyle's passenger seat, and we took off for the Williamson County Agricultural Exposition Park. Williamson County Agricultural Expo Park is a $14 million venue that was completed by the Nashville-based Bullock Smith & Partners architectural firm in 2001. It sits on 110 acres, and its covered building is 230,000 square feet, with 175,000 being climate-controlled. The main arena has the capacity to seat almost 8,000 visitors. In 1950, the Franklin Noon Rotary Club founded the Franklin Rodeo, one of the largest and most successful rodeos in the Southeast. And when construction was completed on the Expo Park at the turn of this century, it became the permanent home to the Nashville Rodeo. In addition to the Franklin Rodeo, the Expo Park hosts over 40 local, regional, and national events throughout the year like Jurassic Quest, the Country Music Cluster, Amigos Nashville Guitar Show, and the Williamson County Fair. For the second week of September, though, it was home to the ICCC and home to all of us who traveled to Franklin to attend the show, tour the surrounding area, and spend time with one another before the season changed. Kyle and Matt parked their vehicles where many of the vendors were loading in, and we walked inside to get our vendor badges. The venue was exactly as I remembered it, but Mike had arranged it in a completely different manner. It looked impressive. I scanned each section of the room trying to remember the original layout and assessing how he improved upon its various aspects. Walking in through the right side entrance, I was surprised to see the talent and autograph section in front of me. Last year, the vendor tables were there, and the autograph section was on the other side of the arena, butted up against the corner of the venue. In its new location, when you walked into the talent area, you were surrounded by the actors and celebrities who sat along the oval-shaped region, behind tables, ready to meet you to take a photograph with you or to sign something personal to you. And while the guests would not show up until much later in the day for the VIPs, it was nice to see the various banners along the walls behind the tables. 
Each banner had a photograph of the actor, the characters for which they were famous for portraying, and the name of each character around the actor's name. Kyle, Matt, and I walked out of the autograph section and proceeded to follow the ellipse of the upper level. On the lower level, where the rodeos would generally take place when it wasn't being used to house a convention, were rows of long black curtains that partitioned the vendor booths. The area of the lower floor closest to us was a large stage facing our direction. It took up approximately a quarter of the floor, and a few of the technicians were busy testing the lighting and sound, as well as the video that would be projected onto screens on either side of the stage. Next to the main stage was a smaller stage from which local bands would provide a soundtrack to the weekend. The production quality had progressed immensely from last year, and it showed. As I passed volunteer after volunteer, I was touched by the pride they showed in having a part in ICCC, and how serious they were in making sure the convention went smoothly. There were so many things happening at once, and with all the events, stage shows, and panels running on such a tight schedule, it was comforting to know that each volunteer had taken on the job with the right attitude to help make ICCC a success. When we attend large events like ICCC or the Columbus Toy Show, or even something as mammoth as Star Wars Celebration, I think we often overlook how much work goes into making these shows happen. That each show is the product of someone seeing a need and trying to fill that need to the best of his or her ability. And it's a feat alone to find others who share your vision, who see what you see, and know that eventually, through teamwork and a relentless spirit, a convention is possible. You cannot control who attends or how many people show up, but you can certainly create an experience that will have them coming back time and time again. We walked down the large row steps to the lower level to obtain our badges. A gentleman named Kevin Bruno was sitting behind a table near the large opening that led to the load-in area in the back of the venue. Matt handed a vendor badge to me, and I decided to pick up my VIP badge as well. As Kevin searched for it, he and I struck up a conversation, and we became friends rather quickly. So one of the nice special things about coming to an event like this is just making new friends and making them pretty quickly. So my new friend is Kevin Bruno, and uh, he is someone who's on the staff here at ICCC. And uh, we just started talking for a bit. And uh, so, Kevin, um, what is this experience like for you? Oh, I enjoy it a lot. You know, this is a, a huge venue. We have a lot of vendors, a lot of really cool things to see. And it's great for the kids and adults. You can bring the whole family and, and one thing we really stress here is for everyone to get along and to, and to be kind, you know, because you find that collectors are the same kind of people, you know what I mean? They like the same stuff or they're at least interested in the same stuff. So everyone kind of gets along yeah. and there's no like conflict really. So it's, it's just a great place to come out and bring the family and, and the kids, you know. And you were saying that usually you come as a guest, but here right. you're you're working as staff, right? Yeah, yeah. Usually I'm um, just a guest. And today and last year I did I did the same job. I did uh, checking people in, and I love helping out. You know because you want it to succeed. You know what I mean. You you want it to uh, run smoothly, mm-hmm. and um, you know you have a lot of problems with like foot traffic and stuff mm-hmm. at these uh, with vendors. You know and. 
this this is a great layout the way we have it here. Is not, you're not going to be bumping into people and stuff, and that's where a lot of conflict happens. Is people bump into each other, and maybe they're holding something collectible, and you know, and, and it makes it so much better to have this great open area. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You so. can tell even even from last year, and last year was you know the the initial offering. Mm-hmm. The, the lessons probably learned from last year now, I mean, you can, you can see it in the way the stage is set up and the way the vendor tables are set up. It's really nice. And even how we separated the guest stars up there, mm-hmm. uh, up at the top, it's just, uh, it's a much better layout and I think it's going to work better for us, you know. And so beyond just checking people in, what do you feel like is your, your, your essential role here in doing that? Like, what, what is it, uh, what do you... As people are coming in, a lot of times the, you're the first person that they see, right? So, okay. so what do you feel that you bring now to this? Well, I like to represent the company, you know, and, and help Mike and Andrea out, you know, make it bigger. And you know, they're two great people working really hard. You know what I mean? And and it's just one of those things you just got to, uh, you know, help them out. <laughs> so, what what are you most looking forward to this weekend? Just personally. All the all the collectibles. I, I get so excited looking at all the vendors yeah. setting up their stuff and all the really expensive or really cool stuff that they have. Even the props, you know, and some of the celebrities. I, you know, I've met some and became friends with them, like literally. And and now I get to see them one year later as a good friend, and it's it's going to be great. I can't wait to yeah. see them. It's that that's a gift that, that we have in our hobby. That there are people that we look up to. There are. Uh, you know, people that who, who we've learned from, and now we have that this ability to kind of tap into it yeah. and, and to uh, to get to know them as as people and as friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, and you know, it's uh, cool. it's a great group of people, like collectors. I, I love it. It's like kind of like when you go to a concert and and you and you have like, oh, everyone here likes this band, yeah. so we're all going to enjoy each other's company. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so that's that's how that's how I feel. about this is kind of like a concert, like a festival almost. You yeah. Know? No, you're right. Um, is there a, a certain or anything that you're looking for to add to your collection while you're here? There is an AT-AT walker or a Imperial shuttle. The two larger vintage Star Wars. Loose or boxed? Loose. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we can, I might be able to help you with that. So we'll talk. All right. All right Excellent. Cool. Uh, thank you so much, Kevin. It was a pleasure to meet you and I'm glad we're now friends. Yeah, we are friends. <laughs> For some strange reason, for me, the convention officially started when we unfolded the thick black tablecloths and spread them out over the three tables. Kyle and I emptied his truck, taking multiple trips carrying boxes back to Matt's booth. When Matt was finally given permission to bring his passenger van into the venue, he pulled it in as close to the tables as possible. We followed Matt's lead and proceeded to improvise the design of the booth. I helped Kyle construct the black PVC display shelves that would stand behind the tables. The trick is to build each shelf upside down, lightly hammering the pipes into each platform, and then turning it over and making sure it was steady and level once it contained four shelves. Matt stood in the center of it all like a languorous conductor, pointing to where he wanted the items to land. Kyle has a true knack for setup, and for getting things done. He worked from the moment we got there until it was finally set up, and it worked hard. Trent showed up shortly after with a cup of coffee in one hand and two desperately needed display cases he graciously lent to Matt for the duration of the show. The four of us worked really well together, and although it was a lot of work, it was coming together nicely. And while shows grant us wonderful moments with friends like Kyle, Matt, and Trent, it can also spur moments of frustration with others. Sometimes I lose my patience and I blow up. It was probably spurred by a combination of a lack of sleep and the heat of the morning, 
but it's happened a few times this year at meetups and is always triggered when someone mistreats another friend or shows an immense lack of respect towards someone. And both had happened that morning, and it had been something that had been building up for a while. And in a moment, on the show floor, everything came to a head for me, and I became really angry. And the details aren't important here. In fact, nothing that happened is of any importance. But it was enough to set me off. I was trying to ignore it and push through and continue to help Kyle and Matt, who were wonderful and were really bringing the booth together. Trent saw that I was about to explode, and he literally came and stood in front of me. Let's take a walk, he said. It was exactly what I needed. He allowed me to vent a bit, and as we walked, he helped me regain my composure. He made me realize that what I was upset about was not important, was nothing I could control, and not worth putting a damper on what had been a fun morning so far. We all lose ourselves a bit at times, and I know for me it's embarrassing. But one of the blessings we have in our friends is that they throw us lifelines that get us back to where we need to be. And we do this for one another. Isn't that wonderful? We have the ability to provide a perspective that might be missing. And I can say that I've had that perspective returned to me more times than I can count by friends like Trent. At some point in the afternoon, we decided to leave the venue for a bit and grab some lunch. The four of us piled into Trent's car and drove off in search of food. We wound up in a pub-style restaurant. I believe it was a chain restaurant, and while I really wanted to have some good food that was exclusive to Nashville, I was happy to be with Trent, Kyle, and Matt, and to be eating. I was starving. By the time we returned from lunch, it was nearing the time for the convention to open to the VIPs. We all returned to Matt's booth for a bit to arrange the items on the shelves behind his tables, and to put some of the more expensive items into their display cases. As we were finishing up, I glanced toward the back curtain partitions separating the sections of booths on the upper level, and the stadium seating that butted up against them. A quick flash of color and movement caught my eye. Marcy from the Grading Company Action Figure Authority was balancing on the backs of the seats in the highest row. Using tape, she hung an AFA banner against the black cloth curtain to let attendees know where the grading booth was located at the show. I watched as she spread herself across the curtain, instinctively repeating the mantra, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, under my breath. But this is Marcy we're talking about. She's like a superheroine. She secured the remaining loose corner of the banner, and in one motion swung her leg around and hopped off the seats. She ran down a few steps, stopped at one to observe her work, and satisfied with it, returned to the upper level, disappearing behind a curtain. I made a mental note to stop by and to see her. But first, I was going to meet one of my Star Wars heroes. I waited until three o'clock before stopping by his booth. A voice blared over the loudspeakers that the VIP attendees would be coming in to do some pre-show shopping, and in addition to having a vendor badge, I had also purchased a VIP pass so I could enjoy many of the perks that came with it. I located Kyle and asked him if he wanted to join me, 
We walked over to the first aisle on the floor, and behind a mostly bare table sat the author responsible for Star Wars resurgence in the 1990s, Timothy Zahn. When Return of the Jedi ended the Star Wars film trilogy in 1983, and the droids and Ewoks cartoons came and went shortly after, the franchise went dormant for years. And while fans yearned for the further adventures of Luke, Han, and Leia, the idea that George Lucas was finished telling his sci-fi space tale seemed to be an unfortunate reality we had to accept. But eight years later, in the summer of 1991, Zahn published the first book in what was to become an all-new trilogy, and he titled it Heir to the Empire. The story began five years after the Rebellion celebration on Endor, and once again, we were reunited with Luke, Obi-Wan, and the rest of the gang. And since every great story needs a great antagonist, Zahn crafted one of the most iconic villains to grace the galaxy. With his frost-white uniform, electric blue skin, and menacing red eyes, Grand Admiral Thrawn had the presence of Darth Vader and the cold, calculating mind of Grand Moff Tarkin. In fact, Thrawn was such a powerful and memorable villain that Zahn's series eventually became known as the Thrawn Trilogy. Many of us believed Heir to the Empire and its two sequels would be the next Star Wars story to make it to the silver screen. And while Lucas surprised us with a prequel saga instead, I truly believe Timothy Zahn was responsible for keeping Star Wars relevant during the period in between film sagas, known as the Dark Times. Shortly after the Heir to the Empire trilogy ended with 1993's The Last Command, Kenner revived the toy line with its bulked-up, He-Man-like take on the figures. And before this, people who played with the original toys as children and teenagers found themselves hunting for and collecting them again. Zahn made Star Wars relevant, and did so with Heir to the Empire. And in 2016, after Disney purchased Lucasfilm, Thrawn was officially added to the Star Wars canon. The Grand Admiral appeared as a menacing force determined to destroy Ezra Bridger and his friends in the third season of the animated series Star Wars Rebels. Zahn also began a new book series about the villain's early years and his rise to power within Palpatine's empire. The first book's title? Simply, Thrawn. So to meet Timothy Zahn in a more intimate and personal setting like ICCC was something special. I had an opportunity to meet him at the last two Star Wars Celebration conventions and opted not to do so. I didn't want to be one of the many to shake his hand quickly in an hours-long line. I wanted to speak with him, even briefly, and I think that's all most of us want when we have the chance to be in front of those who have inspired us. Not to be rushed past them as the handlers keep the lines moving, but to have a moment, a meaningful conversation with them. And this is one of the areas I feel ICCC stands out among other conventions, as the line between fan and talent blurs, and true connections are possible. So Kyle and I walked over to his booth as he was arranging the books on his table. Timothy was shorter than I had expected him to be, and he wore a black polo shirt with a logo from a Star Wars International convention, and black jeans, and the lenses of his glasses were nearly rectangular. A square plate hung from his neck, landing at his chest, and bore the 501st logo and an imperial rank. I figured it designated the status of a Grand Admiral, putting him on equal standing as Thrawn. And if it came from the 501st, it was done with much admiration and respect. Standing in front of him, I introduced myself. He stood to greet me and shook my hand with more power and more force than any other handshake I've ever received. 
I was surprised he didn't lift me off the ground and wave me around like a lasso. Once my brain wobbled its way back into my skull, I told him what he probably hears all the time. That heir to the Empire changed my life and pushed me to collect the toys I loved as a child. He kindly smiled and we just began talking. And Kyle introduced himself as well, and we asked him if we could take a photo with him. He obliged and proceeded to speak with us for about 10 or 15 minutes. Listening to Timothy Zahn talk about working on Heir to the Empire and Thrawn was incredible. But I was grateful to be in front of him with no one else around, no one impatiently waiting for their turn with him, no handlers steering us aside, and most impressively, no rush on his part. He seemed genuinely happy to be there and to be talking to us about the world of Star Wars. I purchased Thrawn in the 20th anniversary hardcover edition to Heir to the Empire and asked him to sign both. He sat back down, pulled out a blue Sharpie marker, flipped open the Thrawn book to the title page, and addressed it to me. When he was finished signing it, he did something I've never seen anyone else do before, but I thought it added a really personal and special touch. He carefully and precisely wrote the date underneath. This is wonderful because as the years go by, we may forget the day or even the month or sometimes the year in which we met one of our heroes. He picked up Heir to the Empire and signed it on the inside title page as well. As I held both of my new personalized books, Kyle bought a Thrawn comic for his son Colton. Colt is a mini clone of Kyle. He looks like his dad, shares the same mannerisms as him, and has the same heart, which is Kyle's best trait. I had the chance to spend time with them at the Columbus Toy Show the week before ICCC, and seeing them walk hand-in-hand together up and down the vendor aisles touched my heart. I know Colt is going to grow up to be a tremendous young man because of the love, guidance, and attention that Kyle gives him. So our new friend Mr. Zahn signed the cover of Kyle's comic, and then signed an edition of Thrawn for another friend. Except instead of signing the title page like he did with mine, he signed the cover. My heart sunk a bit. I didn't even think to ask him to sign the cover. And that was really what I wanted. It would have been perfect for displaying it at home, so I would not only be able to see the beautiful artwork, but would be able to see his note and signature as well. I put my books in front of him again. I'm so sorry, I said, not wanting to burden him. But would it be possible to have a signature on the cover? I didn't even think to ask you before you signed my book. I really didn't have to say anything more. He understood. After all, he's been around collectors and Star Wars enthusiasts long enough to know that this kind of stuff means something to us, something deeper than we can often verbalize. And I was simply asking him to sign his name. I didn't even care if it was hasty or illegible. I just wanted to be able to see it. But he understood. He sat back down and addressed both books to me again. And when he was done signing each, he carefully marked the date on them. He didn't have to do it. After all, he had spent more than enough time with us, and he had signed my books already. But he was so gracious, and I was truly thankful. And as the tip of that blue marker glided along the white and silver covers, I made a mental note of how wonderful his generosity toward me made me feel. In fact, I've taken that example, he said, and since then have tried to show others the same kindness and patience he showed to me. And to have had that moment with the inimitable Timothy Zahn, and to have shared it with one of my closest friends, was one of the highlights of the trip. I carried the books in a large white bag, and Kyle and I decided to walk around the venue for a bit. By this point, everything had come together, 
and was no longer a work in progress. A local band was playing on a smaller stage next to the main stage, and the aisles of vendor booths, artist alleys, and club tables were set and ready for business. The Bespin Prime crew were set up in the next aisle, around the corner from Matt's booth. Bespin Prime is a newer vintage Star Wars collecting group on Facebook, and was formed earlier this year by Robin Bokra, Dennis Hall, and Abdul Hamani, with a focus on positivity and celebrating all things Star Wars and collecting. One of my favorite aspects of the group is Modern Monday, a day each week in which modern prototype and production Star Wars collectors can display or sell their newer collectibles. Robin, Dennis, and Abdul had purchased a block of vendor tables for the show, and it was nice to see them coming together like this and helping each other out. In addition to carded Return of the Jedi figures, Robin had a varied selection of toys for sale, including ones from some of the Disney animated films for any of the younger attendees. Dennis and Abdul had a number of high-end loose figures, some cased and graded. Clifton Cad Bane Boggs had a booth at the other end of the aisle. He had loaded his car with mostly vintage toys, and many of us dug through his loose Star Wars figures over the weekend. He also had rarer non-Star Wars items with him, like a boxed convertible bug car from the 1970s action series Greatest American Hero. I bought my first piece of the weekend. It actually happened much earlier in the morning. I had stumbled upon a beautiful pre-production Power of the Force 2 sheet. It was a digital comp with two early concept cardbacks on it, featuring Chewbacca and Obi-Wan. It was incredibly unique and interesting, and I was more than happy to claim it as soon as I came across it. The vendor was kind enough to hold it for me in one of his display cases so it wouldn't get damaged. As time went on, though, something didn't feel right. As much as I wanted it, I knew it would mean much more to Anthony. Chewbacca and Obi-Wan were two of the mid-1990s figures in which he had a pre-production focus for each, and the piece just made more sense to reside in his collection. After much thought, I talked it over with Kyle. I took him over to the booth where I had purchased it, and I showed it to him. Kyle agreed that it should go to Anthony, and if he decided to pass on it, then maybe one of us would keep it. Anthony would be arriving in a few hours, and I knew the sight of this piece would make the whole trip worthwhile for him before the weekend even begun. I realized I had been spending most of my time on the lower level of the venue, and while it was easy to lose track of time while scouring each vendor's selection, I still hadn't explored the upper section of the convention yet. I headed up the long flight of stairs at the end of the arena, next to where Marcy had hung her AFA banner. Turning right at the top of the stairs, I could see she was still setting up, although the majority of her booth was finished. Acrylic cases were perched around the table like soldiers, and by the dozens. When she saw me, she came from behind a table and hugged me. I've known Marcy for years, and have been a longtime fan of the work AFA does. In 2012, I saw my first graded action figure on eBay, and fell in love with the design. There's something about seeing a pristine, carded, or loose toy encased in a slender acrylic case that just transforms it into something different. Almost into a museum piece, or in a weird way, a work of art. And to me, Marcy has been the face of AFA. She's brilliant and kind, and can speak five languages. 
I first met her through emails and phone calls as she helped me with any questions I had about the grading process. And then we met in person at Star Wars Celebration in Orlando, where she sweetly handed out Easter candy to the throngs of children that passed the AFA booth on that wonderful Sunday in 2017. And at last year's inaugural ICCC event, we had the chance to hang out at the late-night meetups in the hotel lobby after the convention ended each day. She is vivacious, and her joy for life and friendship is utterly infectious. Marcy works so incredibly hard and genuinely cares about the collectors who use the grading and casing service. In fact, she considers me and many of our mutual friends part of her family, and for all of us, a convention like ICCC helps to erase the miles that lie between us and gives us the opportunity to have another memorable, fun family reunion. As we were speaking, a family approached Marcy's booth. The husband inquired about grading prices for some of his loose figures, and at the same time, one of his children picked up a graded figure that was on display and asked about the price. Marcy smiled and patiently explained that the figure was not for sale, but was out on the table to show people what a figure graded by AFA looked like once completed. I cannot tell you how many times I've been around the AFA table when someone asked about the price of one of their display examples. It always makes me laugh because I think I did the same thing the first time I saw the grading company at a convention I attended. But kids and adults do that all the time. It's a testament to how nice collectibles look in the acrylic cases, as well as to their choice of figures to display. While their conversations continued, I excused myself with a quick wave to Marcy and headed over to the Hakes booth. Hakes Auctions is an auction house based in York, Pennsylvania that specializes in a wide genre known as Americana. Political buttons and historical relics, Disney animation art and character toys from the 1900s, comic books and original art, television and Western collectibles from the 1950s and 1960s, and of course the toys from our childhood that span the century. A few years ago, Hakes appeared on the radar of many Star Wars collectors as a gentleman named Russell Branton decided to sell his high-grade and rare collection through the auction house. He had incredible pieces, a carded 12A Luke Skywalker graded in the highest condition available that sold for $50,000, a carded double-telescoping Luke, Obi-Wan, and Darth Vader, unproduced pre-production proof cards from the Power of the Force line, and a grail piece for many, the rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype. And these were only a handful of items he had submitted. In fact, he had so many desirable pieces that Hakes split the items into groups and sold each group in a different auction over the span of at least two years. I spoke with Kelly McLean and Todd Sheffer, two representatives who were set up at Nashville for the weekend and were promoting the bigger ticket items for two of their future auctions. And in front of me, in shiny glass cases, were seven spotlight pieces. The first, which was clearly visible from even a few tables away, had its own special case. It was the rarer J-slot painted rocket-firing Boba Fett prototype, graded at an 85 and presented in AFA's new laser-cut case that presented the figure beautifully. Below it, on the table, were two display cases next to one another. The first one held a carded 12-back Star Wars white footer Han, it also had a 12-back Tusken Raider, believed to be one of the earliest production samples because it did not have a punch at the top of the card. The punch is the die-cut hole on a card which allows store employees to hang them on a peg or a rod in order to display them for sale. But the biggest piece in this particular case was a white-footer double-telescoping carded Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
The White Footer was also a designation of some of the earliest Kenner production figures, and very few, if any others, exist. In the next case stood a carded 12-back Death Squad commander and a vinyl cape Jawa. Like the Tusken Raider, they too were missing the punch at the top of the card, and all three came from a find in Minnesota. But it was the final piece in the case that had meant the most to me. During the spring, my friend encountered the find of a lifetime. He had picked up a carded double-telescoping Darth Vader, and after having it graded by AFA, decided to submit it to the upcoming Hakes auction. The full story is one for another time, but needless to say, it was incredibly moving to see it in person. At that point, my phone began to buzz. Anthony had arrived. I've nicknamed Anthony my Obi-Wan, and with a good reason. When it came to modern Star Wars prototypes, Anthony was a mentor to me the same way that Obi-Wan was a mentor to Luke Skywalker, and to his father Anakin. In the years I've known him, Anthony has not only taught me an exhaustive amount about the interests we share, but he's also shown me how to be a true friend to others by his kindness and his example, especially in how we deal with others in the hobby. I met Anthony at the ICCC's front entrance, and we went back downstairs to Kyle. The three of us talked for a while, and I took him over to the vendor who was holding the Power of the Force sheet I had purchased. Anthony picked it up and studied it. He's a man of few words, but I could tell he had to own it when his eyes flashed at the sight of it. And knowing it was going to one of the best modern Star Wars prototype collectors in the galaxy, I had made my peace with it. I asked the seller if he would mind selling it to Anthony instead, and he kindly agreed to do so at the price we discussed earlier. As collectors, we often want it all. Pre-production pieces are rare. They're the ones that either escape the factories somehow, or they were salvaged at the time by the designers who worked on them, and who cared for them as stewards of the hobby, often without realizing it, until they were passed on to those curators of the collecting world. And it's very easy to want everything for yourself— But the modern prototype hobby is not meant to be practiced alone. The only way to amass a solid collection is to network, and not for the sake of networking, but in order to get to know others and to build real relationships. And the collectors who share the same passion for these pieces often become friends, and we all try to help one another out. We become known as the blank collector. So I'm an Ahsoka guy, a Rex guy, a Luke guy, a Clone Wars everything prototype collector and a Black Series prototype collector. Anthony, he's an Obi-Wan guy, or a Power of the Force 2 collector, especially with the first 12 figures, or the Vintage Collection prototype guy. A lot of us have multiple foci within the realm of prototypes, and that makes it fun. And after a while, you get to know who genuinely cares about collecting and who are the good and solid people within the hobby. And when pieces surface, sometimes you just know they belong with someone else. It actually makes you happier to help a friend add a special piece to his or her collection than it would to be to place that piece within your own display. And sometimes it's tough, but your gut does a pretty good job guiding you to find a balance between curating and sharing. And Anthony has been an incredible mentor and has taught me the value in putting others ahead of myself.
the three of us hung out with Matt at his booth for a while. We walked the entirety of the lower section of the venue, introducing Anthony to a few collectors and checking each vendor's table to make sure we didn't miss anything in our collective hunt. A little before 7 o'clock, we decided to leave the venue for the day. We helped Matt pack up some of the more valuable prototypes and collectibles from his booth and headed back to the hotel. After all, it was almost time for room sales, and we certainly did not want to be late to the event. In case you're not familiar, room sales is an event that is often a companion piece to the bigger conventions and meetups. Usually held in the lobby of the hotel in which the majority of collectors are staying, room sales offer both an opportunity to buy rare vintage and modern Star Wars toys from other collectors, and to sell rare and expensive pieces in person to friends and collectors. The room sales are incredibly exciting because you never know what will show up. Proof cards, chromalins, first shots, hard copies, concept art, carded figures, loose ones, international items, and bootlegs. Virtually every aspect of the hobby is covered in the open space of a hotel lobby. And it's also a great way to network, to get to know other collectors, and to get leads on desired items. And that's how last year's room sales went down here in Franklin. Anthony, Kyle, and I hurriedly pushed two luggage carts full of Anthony's modern Star Wars prototypes into the courtyard by Marriott, and while Anthony sold many of his one-of-a-kind pieces across the past two decades of Hasbro's Star Wars lines, Kyle and I shopped many of our friends' impromptu setups. This year's layout was a little different. Both hotels were hosting the room sales, and each was kind enough to open a conference room to us for the event. However, I was a little disappointed, as the new setup removed the best part of the room sales for us, the chance to all hang out in the same room. Still, none of us had any idea what the plans were for the sales. Usually, it comes together in a piecemealed manner and through texts and posts on social media. Eventually, enough people settle on a location and a time, and with the influx of people, a room sales event materializes. But it appeared to be happening around 9 p.m., I was really hungry when we got back to the hotel, and after showering and changing into fresh clothes for the night, I was determined to eat dinner before packing up what I brought to sell and going to wherever everyone else would be heading for the room sales. Kyle and Matt decided to relax in the room for a bit, and planned to order a pizza before room sales. I knew that once room sales began, it would be hours before we'd even get back to our rooms, let alone eat, and I was too hungry to wait any longer. So Anthony and I left the guys and walked over to the Tuplo Honey Cafe for dinner. It didn't look very crowded from the outside, but the inside told a different story. Sorry, there's going to be about a 45-minute wait, the restaurant server told us. I was disappointed because it's such a cozy spot and the food's great, but we were running out of time. Neither of us wanted to get to room sales late and miss anything. So we left and walked a little farther down the street until Anthony suggested we go back to his car and drive to find a spot. Anthony comes to Franklin regularly for a car show held in the area, so we knew his way around and where to find food. You want something fast, right? There's a Chick-fil-A about a mile down the road, he suggested. Chick-fil-A was perfect. It wasn't heavy or greasy like most fast food, but the key word was fast. We would have time to eat without having to wait long for our meals, and it would give us a chance to spend some time together outside of the convention and the upcoming room sales to catch up. Anthony had just closed on his new home. He was excited about setting up a proper collection room to showcase his more than 20 years of collecting. 
Over 12 packs of chicken nuggets, waffle fries, and lemonade, we traded stories about recent finds, talked about some of the substantial pieces he picked up for one of his runs since he arrived in Nashville that evening, and updated each other on the highlights and hardships in our own personal lives. While we talk all the time over Messenger and on the phone, it was so nice to be in the same room, sharing a quick meal before what has now become a tradition of modern prototype-filled room sales during the ICCC weekend. We headed back to the hotel room to find Kyle and Matt in the same spot where we had left them. Matt was intently watching a college football game, and Kyle was relaxing on the couch. Around that time, I had received a text that the room sales had begun in the other hotel, and that all of the tables in the conference room were already taken. Trent and Corey stopped up to see us, and they had the stuff they were planning to sell in their car. The six of us decided to skip the other hotel's room sales, opting instead to set up in the conference room downstairs, giving us first crack at an entire room of open tables. The sheer firepower our group brought to the conference room was impressive. Anthony took the table in the back right corner of the room and filled it with containers and containers of modern Star Wars prototypes. It took him, along with a few of us and a trusty hotel luggage cart, two trips to bring everything down. But his setup was worth it. Presentation boards for proposed figures for some of the earliest Star Wars lines, hundreds of prototype heads and first-shot bodies, and pieces representing almost every aspect of the pre-production process graced his table and the area behind him. Next to Anthony was Kyle, who had a number of vintage and modern prototypes, including some from other Kenner lines, like the sports-centric starting lineup figures. He also brought some really high-quality vintage loose Star Wars figures, including many complete figures from the 1985 Power of the Force line. Matt's table was filled with proof sheets and hard copies, as well as first shots from both the vintage and modern Star Wars lines. He had prototype figures from a variety of toy lines, ranging from the 1970s to the 2000s. It was easy to find something you had to have from Matt's table. The hard part was figuring out how much you wanted to buy that night and what your wallet was going to look like in the morning. Trent and I shared a long table next to Matt's, but along the left side of the wall. Trent brought a number of rare loose figures like the 1984 Power of the Force Luke Stormtrooper, an Imperial Dignitary, and he had a burgundy cape squid head for sale as well. And while he brought a number of newer items to sell, the most unique piece he had was one he created. It was an aluminum replica of the Kenner Street sign, the one that marked the road in which the Kroger building, the original home of Kenner in Cincinnati, resided. I was set up on the other half of the table. I didn't have a lot of items with me, and they were all loose graded figures, so I only used up about a third of the table. But what they lacked in size and space, they certainly made up for in rarity and in value. I had decided to sell off my loose collection. I enjoyed collecting the vintage carded figures more than the loose figures, and the ones I had were extremely high-grade AFA pieces, and incredibly hard to find in their condition. I had a Luke Farm Boy, a Vinyl Cape Jawa, a Droid Size From, an Ewoks Wicket, a Power of the Force Luke Stormtrooper, an Imperial Gunner, an Imperial Dignitary, all graded at a 90. I also had an AFA-90 Hong Kong Boba Fett and an AFA-90 Plus Taiwan Boba Fett. 
I've collected blue snaggletooth figures over the years. They were the ones that were produced as part of an exclusive cantina set by Kenner for the Sears department store, and I had brought eight or nine with me, with various grades ranging from 75 to a few 85s. I had a sealed Return of the Jedi Villain 7-pack, which was a white box with seven sealed bagged figures from the film. The box, still being sealed and with clear tape, made this piece a true rarity, and it was graded an 80+. And that was only some of what was on my table. My goal was to begin selling off my loose run in order to pay for my vintage carded collection and my burgeoning modern prototype runs. While I missed the room sales of last year, in which everyone was together in the same room, it was still nice to be the first ones to set up in a conference room in our hotel, and I loved that I was surrounded by tables that my friends were running. It's always great when Anthony sets up because his passion for modern Star Wars prototypes is infectious, and I've witnessed a number of vintage collectors making their first modern prototype purchase from him. And it makes sense. Modern Star Wars figures may not be the same toys from our childhoods, but they're still based on the characters we've always loved, or have grown attached to based on the strength of the recent films and stories. I was proud of our group. It's always a blessing to find something special at the room sales, but this year, each of us brought a number of items that would definitely make someone else's room sales experience worthwhile. And while my table was consistently busy with potential buyers and numerous questions about prices, no one had purchased anything from me yet. I had made a few larger purchases between the annual and ICCC and was hoping to sell a few pieces to pay them off. And sometimes all it takes is one buyer to make your whole night. Halfway through the room sales, a gentleman came up to my table and asked me about the prices of some of my more expensive pieces. I was happy at the thought of selling one of them, but he said they weren't for him and he was asking for a friend, who joined him a few minutes later. The potential buyer was a quiet, unassuming guy, but after talking to him for a few minutes, I learned that he collected high-grade loose figures. And after a short time, he pointed to four of them, the Luke Stormtrooper, the size from, both graded at a 90, the Taiwan Boba Fett graded at a 90+, and the sealed Return of the Jedi Villains 7-pack graded at an 80+. We tallied the prices for the set, and within a minute worked out a deal in which we were both very happy. And while that was my only sale of the night, it paid for all of my trips for the season, and for most, if not all of my recent prototype purchases. The room sales began to wind down, and Kyle, Matt, Trent, Corey, and Anthony and I started to pack up our tables. Someone mentioned getting a luggage cart to carry our stuff back upstairs, but Trent and Corey offered to help us after they brought their containers out to their car. We were all tired from what had turned into a pretty busy day, and yet the night was far from over. I left the room to run my items upstairs and came upon the admins from the Bespin Prime Facebook group sitting in the dining area of the hotel lobby. Dennis joined Robin and her mom Bernice and a few others as they presented Abdul with a cake for his birthday. It was a sweet way to end the evening, and in between forkfuls of vanilla cake, we talked about items for which we were still hunting and the highlights of the Nashville trip thus far. When the rest of my group was finally packed and ready to go, I said goodnight to Dennis, to Robin and her mom, and wished Abdul a happy birthday, and headed upstairs for the night.
It was after midnight, maybe closer to one o'clock. We walked through the empty halls of the second floor carrying bins and boxes and cases of toys. Trent and Corey helped us carry the remainder of our collective piles into the room, and then hugged us and said goodnight. Matt left some of the more valuable boxes of prototypes with us, and giving us each a handshake and a hug, left for the evening as well. I love the fact that we were a group, and that we traveled together, and I knew I was going to miss them all dearly after the weekend ended. The door to the room finally closed for the night, and the quiet was a welcomed interruption to the events of the day. We cleared the common room as thoroughly as we could in order to make room for Anthony's pullout bed. I helped Anthony with the covers and sheets as Kyle moved some of the furniture. As per our tradition, we kept one of the luggage carts overnight, since it was already packed with the remainder of Anthony's mountainous modern prototype collection of items he hadn't yet sold, and we would need to bring everything out to his car in a few hours, as he would be leaving from the venue on Saturday afternoon to head back home. And even though it was late, we all found ourselves sitting in chairs around the dining table in the common room, talking about modern prototypes. Occasionally, one of us would pull out one of Anthony's bins just to make sure we went through it thoroughly and didn't miss anything we could use for our collection. I found myself going back and forth between my seat and the kitchen counter and stealing a handful of the individually wrapped Hershey's chocolates we had bought from our absurd Walgreens hall the day before. Kyle told us about his conversations with former Kenner employees throughout the years. Anthony shared personal stories from the earliest days of modern collecting, and how the hobby and the prototype process evolved over time, and I couldn't imagine a better way to end the night. This was one of the only times the three of us would be in the same room together, and I don't think any of us wanted the night to end. I mean, because that's saying a lot if if, if, if almost everyone goes through your hands. I mean, they... Yeah, they, they, they probably, I would say, a good percentage of them that, okay. that come into the country do okay. go through my hands. Nice. I've, I've spent a, uh, a lot, of, lot of nights on eBay yeah. doing random searches and stuff like that, and I then finding, Price. doing random searches on, on Google as well. <laughs> when, I, when I started, and even just in the last few months, just, just any time I would go through, I always go through Anthony's page. Uh, which is modern Star Wars prototypes on Facebook. And it's if you go in there, you go into the, the photo albums, and he has it separated by, by line. And I would go in there, and I would look. And over time, especially with the Clone Wars stuff, I would look and go, well, I have that one, and I have that one, and I have that one. But there were all these old older pictures, pictures from 2012 and all that stuff, and they were all Anthony's at some point. Or he ha- you have sales posts still like where you, you have like the pri- like prices or like the ones that you have for sale which ones yeah. have sold and stuff yeah, yeah so uh, when the it's actually funny when the, the Clone Wars line first came out I got prototypes of, of those the uh, the first what was it first 8 or 10 that came out and uh, I got carded samples and some, some first shots and everything this one one guy he uh, he was wanting them real bad and everything. He he offered me all kinds of money for them and uh, trade for some unproduced contact two stuff. Wow. And uh, 
so I, I sent him the my stuff, and he never never sent me the the stuff on his end and everything. This went on for like months, and finally I got my stuff back somehow. He he finally mailed it back to me, but uh, so I was lucky with that. But yeah, wait, wait. he mailed you back your Clone Wars stuff. Yeah. Or? Okay. So why I, did he do that? Uh, I think I had. Uh, at the time, I was working at a law firm still, so I had my, my boss draft up a letter and send it to him. <laughs> you think that's what it was? Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> I, I would probably wager on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> look. If I, if I remember right, yeah. I, I've still got all the, uh, the emails and everything. I, had them, I printed them all out, and I've got them saved in a, in, a, in a binder now. I'll have to go back and reread it sometime to refresh my memory. But Yeah, so... I had those, and uh, another kind of funny thing, I, I posted a picture of the, the General Grievous. I sent it to my buddy over at uh, sandtroopers.com, and he posted it. And uh, they hadn't, I don't think, shown any pictures of those or anything yet. Hasbro hadn't, so my my buddy got a an email from Hasbro, a cease and desist email. Saying to, to take the pictures down, and uh, my buddy tried to push back a little bit. He was like, "You know, it, these these aren't your pictures. I didn't get them from from you in any kind of illegal right. manner or whatever. I got them from another guy who it's it's in his possession. You know, he's just sent me pictures of something that he owns. Right. And they they wrote back and said, uh, you know, however he got them is illegal, and uh, if you don't take the pictures down, we'll we'll proceed further and everything. So." <laughs> So that sounds like uh, when uh, Force Awakens came out and there were the reports about the, the Ray being put out too early and it's because they didn't want anybody to see her with a lightsaber in her hands. Oh, yeah. You know, so they sent the cease and desist similar to that. Yeah. yeah. Were, those, were they leaked or were they just... I, I don't remember. They came out and then looked and said, wait a second, we can't do this. Either they were leaked or somebody just decided to put them out and didn't read the letter saying, you know, maybe don't put them up, yeah. if that's something. With the lightsaber. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put Ray out till this date. <laughs> yeah. Till the movie releases. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm curious, if you're in that position, have you, you're studying the, the market, are you able to control the market in some ways when you release things, like the General Grievous collection? Uh, yes and no, I guess. I mean, the the general Grievous collection that I had was, I mean, it was, as you know, pretty pretty thorough. Yeah. And but it took a long time to acquire all of those. What what kind of pieces did you have in your general Gr- Grievous collection, and do you know where most of that is today? <laughs> I know exactly where all of it is today. <laughs> Kyle, do you know where it is today? It's in my basement. <laughs> Not all of it. <laughs> Mo- most of it is. Okay. So, yes. there's there's two pieces that I know of that still are not in your basement. So. Okay. <laughs> are, are they key pieces or FEP samples? Uh, one's a pretty cool one. I've well, I've still I've still got one that. Uh, well, I've, the passion I, you put in to be able to get all those. I mean, there's nobody else that should have that than you. Yeah. Well, I mean. 
You earned those. <laughs> you know what I mean? One of those was was one of the ones that got sent to the guy who was going to try and steal them from me or whatever, but finally oh, really? sent it back. Yeah, the it was the, the white one with the unproduced uh, pointy ears. Right. So. No kidding. Yeah, so that was the first one that I got. Okay. And, uh... What, what kind of stuff did you have uh, for that line? Okay, so most of it was most of it was first shots and uh, a lot of carded samples. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I had some some hard copy pieces. Uh, the, there's like a, a couple legs. Yeah. Uh, and I know a one head for sure. Yeah. And then there was an arm. There was an arm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've. And then the proto mold, the hand painted proto mold for the Saga collection, right. which is just a beautiful piece, yeah. absolutely beautiful. Is it a is it like a hard copy head with a proto mold body, or is it just a, a straight proto mold? Uh, Anthony has to answer that. It's uh, it's got a hard copy base, and I think the the blaster was a hard copy, but the the rest of it, like underneath the cape, there's uh, there's some parts where. The, the paint was scratched a little bit. It's, it seems to be all hand-painted, and the paint was scratched a little bit, so you can see pink underneath it, it looks like. So it's like the, uh, the uh, it was shot in a, like a pink test shot cape, and then painted right. over, hand-painted over kind of thing. So yeah. it was sold to me as a hard copy. So when I got it, I realized it wasn't a hard right. copy. Right, the yeah. color underneath the cape. It wasn't a, a true full hard copy. But. That's interesting how they put it together like that. Yeah. And then Th- I had uh, I had a a mock-up piece or two as well. Okay. I had a mock-up for the 12-inch line. That went uh, overseas, though, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you didn't get that, right? No. Okay. Yeah, so. I just had the production 12-inch in my case. Uh, so what other what other grievous pieces did you have that might be in Kyle's basement now? Um, a lot of them, like I said, they're you know first shots and uh, it's, some it's, paint paint samples. There were some paint samples. A good yeah. amount. Uh, it's a large amount of pieces specifically from the Clone Wars right. General Grievous and different versions of it and specifically. The big separation is the regular General Grievous and the Toys R Us exclusive, which is spectacular, yeah. clear blue plastic. It's eye-catching, and there are a lot of a lot of pieces for that, including the one you brought for me tonight, which means a lot to me. Yeah, no so, yeah, there's a lot of awesome Clone Wars stuff in there, and there's going to be a, a proof thanks to you. There might Sweet be a proof. Yeah. <laughs> I was interested that uh, when I was putting that line together or that run together, I picked up one of those uh, holographic Grievouses, a uh, a first shot of it with the unproduced uh, pointy pointy ears. ears. Yeah. So I would have thought that that uh, would have been something that had come out, you know, actually release. Well, the the pointy ear thing. I figured that was just going to be only on the uh, the, right. the normal, that, that makes, the regular figure. Not so the they must have been developing de- developing them at the same time, 
right. and made a decision at the same time. Yeah. So that is interesting. I thought about that. That was that was cool to see because the the, the holographic Toys R Us one didn't come out till a little bit later. Right. After uh, everything, so they must have, like you said, developed them around the same time. Maybe you could answer something I've always wondered. On the back of the Saga General Grievous uh, sample, there's the hand-painted Emperor Palpatine bonus figure. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be holographic, and it was painted in silver. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard anything about why they chose the blue as holographic, or why would that have been painted in silver? Was that something they were considering? Well, it was painted silver because it was the uh, for the galactic hunt thing. So right. that's why they all the the galactic hunt ones had silver silver uh, plastic shot uh, okay. micro micro figures or whatever. So okay, that one they were I guess testing the how it would look in the packaging because the 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 foil on the front of the card. It seems to to rub off or, or come off a lot easier than a, a normal galactic okay. figure. So that makes sense. I know that. And uh, those holographic figures. I don't know why they decided for the well, blue and red. I guess you know light and dark side. But uh, I've got some some first shots of all of those. I've got some in of all of the. Yeah, bonus of, figures. Yeah, all of the, the small okay. bonus figures. I've got some that are in a gray plastic. I've got some that are in yellow plastic. And then I think I have some in purple plastic, too. Oh, nice. So. That's neat. So um, we just came back from the room sales. It's probably it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, Saturday morning, uh, of the ICCC. Um, and so throughout the day, we were we were there for... As vendors, uh, we're helping our friend. Um, we were also there uh, as VIPs, and then at the convention, and then we came back here for the room sales. I guess starting around eight o'clock or so. And uh, both of you, Kyle and Anthony, both picked up uh, some cool prototype pieces. Uh, would you guys like to share some of the stuff that you picked up? Uh, so I was able to get uh, a couple items from Anthony. He brought me. Uh, some samples for both of my Star Wars Focus, my Biker Scout and General Grievous Focus. So getting two things in, at the same time is rare, to say the least. That makes me uh, uh, very happy. And I found uh, another item from, uh, actually it's, some, it's a movie prop of sorts, for my Biker Scout run, and uh, that's my first one of those. Uh, I also got to I also got to meet Timothy Zahn today, and uh, that was a really great experience. And was able to add a couple items and a signature to that. Um, also, uh, first shot, <laughs> uh, first shot Emperor. For your new focus? For my, apparently my new focus. <laughs> and it's shot in green and purple uh, rubbery type substance that feels really awesome when you squeeze it in your hand. Is it episode one or is it Power of the Force? Uh, you're the modern guy, so I'm not sure. It says 1998 and it's awesome colors that catch my eye, so... 
episode, You'll have to let me know. It's episode one, uh, Darth Sidious. Okay. But I didn't know that it had 1998 uh, copyright dates on it, so I'm thinking the production figure probably has 1999. Okay. Since that's when they came out, so that may be even even cooler that it has I'm 98. Really impressed with the the sculpt of it. I've never been a big fan of Emperor sculpts, but this one makes him look extremely awesome. It really does. <laughs> he looks very evil and menacing, and because yeah, it's like it's a it's a rich kind of deep dark green, and then it's this this purple. The hood is down over his eyes enough to cover them and shadow his face the way it's supposed to, as opposed to showing his old wrinkly, burnt face. And then, Anthony, did you pick up anything? Yeah, I picked up some more stuff from my uh, my Power of the Force 2 focus that I have going on, especially for the, the first 12 figures from, from Power of the Force 2 from 1995. Uh, all of it is... Uh, all of it's 2D pieces, really, so I got a... Uh, About two inches away from our kitchen sink in our hotel room. Yeah, and next to the uh, the oven, too. <laughs> The sink, which I dumped a whole bunch of ice out of the cooler in, and it was like splashing, and I stopped really fast so that I could cover <laughs> all of the awesome 2D amazingness sitting on the counter. Yeah. All right. So what are we looking at here? Because there's some really cool pieces. So we've got a uh, Power of the Force 2 die cut proof card mm-hmm. with the uh, the black front and the the white back. Do you say black front? Why is it a black front? It's just all all black. There's no no other print or anything on it. Mm-hmm. And what did they use this for? Is it called a blank? Um, in the, I've heard the that vintage term would be a blank. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've heard people call it blanks before. Um, most people refer to them as the just the die cut proof cards, mm-hmm. uh, where they were testing the 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 die cut. Uh, I guess the die cut machine for when they were going to create these these beautiful figures. So it, you can see on the on the top left corner you can see Darth Vader's silhouette, uh, a piece of Darth Vader's silhouette. Right. On the left hand side. On the left hand uh-huh. side, yeah. Okay, and then, oh, this looks, that's a nice piece. Oh, I, didn't I didn't know you picked that up. Hologram. Yeah. Yeah, Was so, that in there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Was. <laughs> that stack three times. Yeah. I, I did not see that. I looked through it yesterday and I didn't see it either. Oh. Who's so, got the eye? Yeah. So what are we looking at here? It's a green carded. It's the uh, green card. Uh, Power of the Force 2 uh, Obi-Wan proof card. Mm-hmm. Unpunched. Uh, unpunched. With the, the holographic sticker. With the holographic sticker, yeah. So. Beautiful. Now we get a little older. So we've got uh, two pieces that are kind of similar here. Uh, the the first one, I guess we'll say, is uh, it's got two, two characters on it, Chewbacca and Obi-Wan. It's a uh, proof sheet. Uh, kind of reminds me of the digital comps that that uh, I have others of. What's a digital comp? It's um, a good question. It's been explained to me. I guess it's the Hasbro is would or Kenner would print them out uh, on the printers that they had back then. So they they kind of look a little grainy. They they have uh, some pixelation to them. Uh, but it's it's a sheet and it has the the, the lines for the die cut uh, I guess where the die cut machine would be and where the the, the the punch holes would be but they're 
like I said, they're a little little grainy, a little pixelated. Mm-hmm. The especially the the photos of Chewbacca and Obi Wan. Um, the the logo at the top, it uh, it's different from a production figure, so that it tells me that it's an earlier uh, proof sheet kind of thing. So the uh, the line is actually called the Power of the Force. So these earlier proofs had just Power of the Force on it. They left the V off. And they're also done in a, a different font, a uh, kind of a, a thinner font than the, the production figures. And is the Star Wars logo itself, the colors and everything, is that a little different from the production? Um, it looks looks about right to the production ones. I've actually got the uh, the transparency for for that logo at home, and it. it it looks about right. I think the the age warning at the top may be different. Mm-hmm. For the font, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was, the production figures are called The Power of the Force. The This early proof, you know, is called just Power of the Force. Mm-hmm. And they originally were going to call the line the Trilogy Edition, but that got scrapped and they decided to use the Power of the Force. Yeah. So. And then you have a piece uh, next to it that is... Uh, half of <laughs> half of what the other one was. Yeah, it's uh, kind of half of this this proof sheet, but it's also got uh, color bars at the top, which is which is interesting. And it's uh, this proof or half of a proof sheet piece is pretty cool. It's uh, seems to be glued onto a. It's like a, a heavier, thicker cardstock. Yeah, stock. some kind of some kind of a heavier cardstock. Yeah, almost like they were gonna. Eat use it to possibly cut out and make a mock-up of there's a uh, a certain mock-up on online right now for the uh, Chewbacca which would be the other half of this mm-hmm. so I'm wondering if that uh, is actually this from the, from this well, proof sheet right it very well could be because so Anthony has a full proof sheet here which has the, the Chewbacca card and the Obi-Wan card on it and then this one that we're looking at it is cut in half basically uh, and it, it's cut it looks like it's cut at an angle but it's really not it was just cut and then it was put on an angle on a, on a thicker board as Anthony said there is, there's a carded mock-up of Chewbacca on eBay right now and it could be the, the second half of this that's very true interesting yeah Oh, so you might have to uh, might have to go and buy the the other half. Did you pick up anything else? Um, I think that's it. Okay, very cool. Finally, as the conversation began to wind down, we all surrendered to the fact that our Friday night was indeed Saturday morning, and we would be waking up in a handful of hours to head to ICCC. Wishing Kyle and Anthony goodnight, I closed my bedroom door and unmade my bed. I knew the next few hours of rest would skim by me faster than I would like them to, and while I tried to hold on to the minutes as if they were slow-floating balloons, eventually there were too many around me, and I found myself drifting away with them into the peaceful stillness of the night.' 